Welcome to Lectionary Mixtape, a revised common lectionary based preaching commentary. I'm your co-host, Daniel Eisenberg. And I'm your co-host, Ben Siebert. Each week we discuss the texts and how they matter and connect them to a special music offering. Our texts for this week, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, are Exodus 32, verses 7 through 14, Psalm 51, verses 1 through 10, 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, and Luke 15, verses 1 through 10. So, you want to start with Exodus, Dan? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So, I kind of laughed a little bit the way the lectionary does choose life one week and then immediately, like, moves to this text. Um, it kind of paints a more dire picture than I think was actually there, even as, you know, God's telling Moses to come down the mountain and at least, at the very least, God is angry, you know? Yeah, I... I think that's something to explore too. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of preaching and teaching out there about God is mad at you because you don't do things in X Y Z ways, and mm -hmm. I think it's worth noting why God gets angry here. I don't know. It's still a little uncomfortable for me, but it kind of. This is what it is, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think, I think I'm not sure. And, uh, Dan, you and I have talked about, you know, discussing our blind spots. One of my blind spots is I'm not sure how I approach scripture, right? <laughs> so here's, here's a great way to, to end lectionary podcast. <laughs> um, well, part of me wants to approach scripture in like a divine way. And part of me wants to approach scripture in, um, a human way. Um, so, so in in scripture, at least here, I see the authors anthropomorph uh, anthropomorphizing. Don't use too big a words, Ben. You'll hurt yourself. God, um, and so uh, I think some of this anger that you know, Moses experiences might be Moses's, and I think some of the experience uh, some of the experience of anger uh, that are experiencing might be the editors. You know, like I, part of uh, the words. Um, that uh that that are here seem like yes they could have anger and part of part of these words seem like they could be a parent saying well they're doing this again <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. like i'm gonna go stop it and so it doesn't need to be like an anger that is a vengeful and uh selfish you know uh god that that's mad because god's not getting god's way like this can also be like a caring anger that is passionate and wanting the best for, for God's people. And so I, yes, there have been a lot of things said about God being angry, but I think sometimes we either simplify them or in the case of my confliction with scripture, I think sometimes we project our own feelings onto the text or even onto God. 
Yeah. Yeah. I just, I can get behind the anthropomorphizing of God and saying, you know, God loves us very much. Uh, the idea of God being jealous for us, like God wants to be a part of our lives. God wants to take care of us. God wants us to be God's people so much so that God gets angry if it doesn't happen. Like, I'm okay to that point, but then the way God responds and uses that anger, like, I'm going to consume them and I'm going to burn hot against them. Like, I'm going to destroy them. So, part of my context is I'm a father of a younger child and we're trying to instill in her that it is very important to be honest with your feelings and to express your feelings, but there are good ways of expressing them and bad ways. So when she is angry, do you want to yell into a pillow? Do you want to cry? Do you want to talk about what you're feeling? Do you want to, you know, hit your drum or whatever? Okay. You are not allowed to hit us. You are not allowed to scream, like certain ways of using your anger. So like I'm okay with God. And not allowed to burn against us, consuming them with an all-consuming fire. Yeah, I hate it when she does that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, okay. So, like, I, I like that humanizing of God to the point of how God intends to use the anger. Um, that leaves me decidedly uncomfortable. Hmm. Um, but that's not where the story ends. And so, like, we can look at it from a larger perspective too i guess like moses is in conversation with god that this isn't just god has already deemed it from the beginning that moses is gonna be the new nation now and that's gonna be that but i like that moses can talk to god and say like hey people are gonna start talking yeah <laughs> maybe you ought to chill out a little bit and give us another chance here and i like that god listens and mm -hmm. it's this very reminding god of the promises god made as well like you promised to lead us out of here not me but all of us and i think that that's a very powerful model of prayer as well that part of our prayer is remembering the good things god has promised and when we don't see them manifest to be like hey god you promised yeah you promised to take care of us so I'm praying, beseeching you to make good on that promise. And that moment feels similar to Abraham's experience uh, with God um, in, in bargaining for a city's life, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, if there are this many, if there are that many. And I even like in how verse 13, Moses says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Um, and, and, and it's neat how that remember in that remembering, like um, Moses has taken it into his own body and into his own um, expression of that remembering uh, to remember before God too these actions, this pattern, like you've done this before, like have mercy again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, I think there's a few things that I get wrapped up in um, where man, it's really hard to, it, to understand how this is a useful text, <laughs> but, um, mm -hmm. but I think it's worth exploring. Yeah.
Okay. Yeah, I I like when we get some of the autobiographical stuff from Paul. Yeah. I think that and part of my tradition in being mainline Protestant pastor is we don't have a strong, at least in my experience, don't have a strong testimony uh, tradition, like where people come up and say, look, this is how God has been active in my life. And I give thanks Mm. for that. And I like that Paul does that once in a while, like for him just to say, I am grateful to Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me and judged me faithful. I used to be a blasphemer. I used to be the biggest schlub on the block. I was just the worst. And Christ showed mercy to me. And that's amazing. Um, And there's something very powerful in that when we can point to God's activity in the world and how God is really affecting lives outside of a sermon illustration. And I know this is a preaching podcast, so use sermon illustrations and stuff, but how do we reconnect to that tradition of testimony? Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll one up you. I think Paul does this like once, once a while inside every single letter he writes, but, <laughs> but, but I also think that, that it is neat. Um, inside first timothy among many other places and in a letter where i find other things to be problematic and to at the very least to have been used badly in the course of uh, the church uh, history to have this confession of i was acting in ignorance and unbelief and god showed me mercy and that mercy at least for paul is opportunity to change you know, um, and, and, and to be changed by that mercy and by that love. I think, I think that, that having moments of mercy do towards the, to the unmerciful and the unbelieving or the ignorant and the unbelieving, but also the unmerciful, uh, create moments where, where change can happen, you know, and I like the refreshing nature of that. Um, compared to the stalemate that I feel a lot of public conversations feel like they're in. Yeah. Are there moments, I'm going to ask you, uh, Pastor Eisenberg, are there moments that you find in uh, in preaching, but even overall, since it's a lectionary podcast, overall inside of our liturgy or inside of our worship experience, where that kind of that kind of space for turning can happen. And are there places you lift that out? In what, in what way? I don't know. I just wish you were there. Um, my, my thought goes to like confession forgiveness, where we have a moment uh-huh. and opportunity um, to say out loud that we were ignorant and unfaithful or unbelieving. And we sort of do that. Yeah. Uh, except for it's written for us. <laughs> and we could just mumble through it or not or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it might be an opportunity to use that in the preaching moment as well. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe you could talk to someone beforehand. I think it would be tough like on the spot to say, hey, 
anybody feel like they were beyond redemption <laughs> and then God totally turned your life around because, you know, like, tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. That might be tough, but if there's someone in the congregation that you have a relationship and you know they have a powerful story to tell to say, would you mind sharing that as part of the sermon? Yeah. You know, we're talking about um, testimony about God's activity in our life. Would you be willing to tell me about X, Y, Z? Um, you could even set it up as kind of an interview. Um, there's all kinds of different ways to do that. That might be one route. Yeah. I also wonder how the difference in experience of Paul's confession and testimony, excuse me, confession and testimony feel between uh, Jews and Gentiles uh, at that time. Um, you know, for Paul to confess this to Gentiles, they're like, wow, you really shouldn't have done that to those people. And for Jews to hear this confession from Paul, I imagine at least my response might seem something like, yeah, you really shouldn't have done that to us, you know? And, mm -hmm. and that's, that's interesting that, that Paul got ahead into this moment anyways. I wonder if there was any kickback or reaction or anything like that. Yeah, because, I mean, we tend to view Paul as this champion of faith mm -hmm. in retrospect. Yeah. But to think about at the time for people that knew, like, yeah, like, you locked up my family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's really compelling. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, but, but the thing I, I like about Paul or Paul's school in this particular letter is, is the human aspect seems to be coming out you know? Mm -hmm. And I can find a lot of opportunity for my human aspect and for the congregation that I worship with human aspect uh, to be explored in this particular text. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very feet on the ground. It is. What a good place for feet. Yeah. You want to move to Luke? Sure. All right, which one's that? 15, 1 to 10. We're getting lost. Oh, man. There's there's so much to talk about in this Luke passage. Mm -hmm. I love verse 3 and 4. Mm. Uh, well, verse 4. Which one of you having a 100 sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after one that is lost until he finds it? Uh, no one. <laughs> no one does that. That's stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's absolutely foolish to just be like, yeah, I'm going to just leave my, um, leave 99 of my sheep alone where they might get picked off and killed or stolen or wander off because obviously they're not so smart if one of them did in order to get the one dopey yeah. one that left. Like, no one does that. Um, and I think that's, very cool. That's, I mean, maybe thinking of it as a theme, you know, we've been talking about the the humanizing of God and um, seeing God jealous and angry and that type of stuff. Maybe this is uh, a very non, maybe this is a behavior that is more difficult to relate to. God is just totally, Jesus is totally unreasonable in this moment. And I really like that, that God's love and mercy isn't logical that it's not reasonable um, mm. that's yeah. kind of nice I, I i like that i've always been struck and not really known what to do with the fact that uh this this word wilderness comes up again um 
you know, that's, that's where the 99 are being left. Not, not in a safe spot, you know, not in a hemmed in mm-hmm. pen. They're in the wilderness. And the only other times I see the wilderness in the Gospel of Luke, it's not a super positive experience. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes, not usually. that makes that interesting too. You know, what, what does it feel like for the 99? Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're getting into projecting feelings onto the text. Um, but I wonder what it feels like for the 99 to have a God that leaves them in the wilderness. I wonder what it feels like. I wonder what their reaction becomes to the the one that's found um, uh, after being brought back. Um, yeah. Is it like, so, so two things I'm thinking. One, to what mm-hmm. you just said about how does it feel for the 99? Yeah. Um, is there any resentment about that? And maybe that's what the religious leaders are, mm-hmm. you know, ticked off about. Like, hey, you should be hanging out with us. And I mean, it reminds me of speaking of Luke in parables of the yeah. uh, lost son or the prodigal son, where like, that's really great. You know, <laughs> the younger son's back and they have the big yeah, right. party. Yeah. What does the next day look like for the family? Yeah. <laughs> like, what does breakfast the next morning look like? It's probably yeah. awkward and needs some reconciliation and healing and stuff. The, the other thing I'm thinking of is the... Uh, that connection to wilderness, I wonder if there is a tie, a way you can play with Luke 4, with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Like, What does it mean that the 99 sheep are hanging out in this place where Satan likes to come and really put our understanding of God's mission to the test? Who exactly is this for? And are we going to seek God's kingdom by glorifying ourselves or by giving ourselves away? And like the, the temptation of that when we feel the absence mm. of Jesus. Yeah. And what Jesus in, in his own self relies on as he's left in the wilderness, you know, like what, what is that, can that be useful for us in our times of the Holy Spirit? Uh, in our times of now wandering, kind of without a shepherd clear and present. Yeah, definitely. I mean, not to get on my whole ridiculous, nonsensical love of God stuff. That's a good place to go. But the the mini, <laughs> yeah. But like the little parable after about the lost coin. Mm-hmm. Again, like woman has 10 silver coins, she loses one, she's looking for it, and then she finds it and she's happy. But more than that, she calls together her friends and neighbors, like she throws a party, Mm -hmm. you know? And I guess you could take it just on its surface and just be like, hey, I found that coin, which would be a really awkward conversation, but just points to the like ridiculous joy in finding Mm -hmm. it. Like, okay, all right, Karen, thanks. That's that's great. I'm glad you found it. But if you look into it more, and if this is indicating like she's throwing a gathering, a party, parties cost money. So did she end up spending the coin that she just spent all that time looking for? Like just so happy that the very act of finding the coin is what's valuable. Mm. Um, And I think that's a powerful, a powerful message for us in a society that I feel deems our worth by how much money we can generate or how much success we can generate to say that God is excited and overjoyed to find you, not because you've 
you know, you up the income of the church by 5% by your tithe or because you have the most dramatic reading voice as a lector or because, because, because like it's because you're you, it's not because of the product that you produce. And that's powerful too. To have our worth, uh, not be the value that we bring in skills or abilities or anything else uh, to the table, but to have our worth uh, precede anything that we might be able to do or able to bring. Yeah. Well, like, what are the stories that you hear out of uh, out of the Amazon warehouses? Employees that have uh, basically they have like a pedometer that will mm-hmm. track how much work that they're doing. <laughs> so you're just like constantly being monitored and you have that fear looming over your head that if I'm not packing enough packages, if I'm not moving enough product, then I could get fired. I could get replaced by somebody else who's better than me. And the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep for that matter is completely Hmm. contrary to that mindset that you're only worth what you produce. Now, there's there's a level to this that I'm usually a little aware of where in my experience as a white cisgendered heterosexual male with a beard who's a Christian in the US, mm-hmm. um, I I have usually been welcome in most spaces that I go into, you know? And so I haven't had a feeling of displacement or a feeling of not really knowing if I'm even welcomed into this fold that I think a lot of others do and have expressed mm-hmm. feeling. And so this this text takes on a different expression, I think, outside of my experiences and outside of my um, upbringing, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are those outside of the white cis straight male experience that have experienced being your worth being defined not by who you are yeah. by but what you produce as being uh, much more profound um, and i think that's important to note um, and some of that can be talking about yeah well and and because um because of that I feel like it's really important to bring out the moments when God calls God's people good simply because they are and God has made them good and God has declared them good over and against moments where we uh, where we try to lift up our value because of the things that we bring and the things that we do. Um, and so emphasizing those for all people, I think, is is a very, very needed motion in in the preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel that if we are like white male, cis straight, white in general, anybody that's part of the, the dominant mm-hmm. group, identifying too strongly with the 99 sheep or the one lost sheep is problematic. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like we need to have a, if that's who the majority of your congregation is, I think you need to have a loose hand on yeah. that. Because if it's that we're just the lost sheep, woe is us, I think that that can easily 
trivialize or at least ignore the experiences of others. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you identify so strongly mm-hmm. with the 99 sheep, it can be very othering like, oh yes, it's up to us to be welcoming and patient toward that one nice lost sheep that came here. You know, that, that one gay couple that comes to church now, like we need to, that nice lost couple came here and like that can get, that's extremely icky. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I think brings us back into the verse that you pointed out at the beginning. Like, which of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness, go after the one until that is lost until he finds it. Hmm. Um, while that is a very foolish thing because like probably no one's answering, I do, I do. It's also an open invitation to be that thing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, it's, it's one of those things where Jesus like understands that this is not happening after all. This is a response to the... <laughs> the the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling and at the same time saying of course you do this and and almost like a gracious social mo- moment of it's okay if we all do this it's okay if we're all lost from time to time it's okay if we're all welcoming from time to time um, and it's okay for God to go wherever the um, the need is mm-hmm yeah yeah Well, well. <laughs> you know, Ben, that reminds me of a song. Nice. As we kind of talked about a little bit earlier off the podcast, um, I've had one song stuck in my head for a while, and that has been Drive by Incubus. Um, uh, and while... I'm not sure it's meant to be a song about everlasting promises. It <laughs> it is a song that has me think about a a really really persistent moment, um, both in the way that the song becomes an earworm and in the way that the song is. That's kind of neat. I have memories of being in seventh grade and on the school bus listening to drive oh, yeah. on my off-brand walk or disc man yep. over and over and over again. Yeah. Ever tomorrow brings. <laughs> I will never forget the lyrics to drive. My track for the lectionary mixtape is a song by the Smoking Popes called Can't Find It. And the lyrics go like this. Uh, Part of it go, We can say all the things we used to say. I recall when we felt that way. There was a time when you were a part of me. But I just can't find it. I can't find it. I can't find it anymore. I like that. I mean, it's obviously about a couple. But... I think the the themes still check out, you know, like you're just trying to find that connection that's been lost and we can call it sin, injustice, uh, the powers and principalities of this world, whatever you want to call it, death. Sure. Uh, But there is that separation and God is relentlessly trying to find us 
as a lost sheep or a lost coin or whatever it is. Well, Dan, I think that's about all we have for this week. Join us next week on Lectionary Mixtape for some readings and discussion on the 15th Sunday after Pentecost and for some sweet Lectionary Mixtape track recommendations. Nice. We'll see you then. Bye. Bye.